0: Now, we can look at the Christmas narrative and maybe, you know, a few other passages and, uh, and and try and put some things together and make sense of it all. Now's the time to do it. What do you reckon? Yeah, Absolutely, I'll, I'll yep. Just tis the tis season. Tis, tis, tis almost, we're approaching the season to be jolly. And uh, and and if we can do something about that now uh, and we get in early, I think it's a good idea. And what I thought we would do, Tobia, is yes. begin... Uh, if I if I may, I thought I might read in my. Maybe I'll use my. I always feel like when I'm reading from the the, the narrative of the uh, you know the birth of Jesus, I want to use my uh, my Anglican priest voice, and I'm going to read from, uh, from what?
1: That an Anglican priest voice is usually a kind of clipped Kermit the Frog voice <laughs> with a clothespin <laughs> on his nose.
0: I'm starting <laughs> from <laughs> Matthew
1: chapter <laughs> <two>. <laughs> Matthew chapter two.
0: Where is the Christ to be born? And so they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the
1: prophet. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, you should know that the ancient screams and, and, scri- and Elias screens, the ancient scri- uh, scribes <laughs> and Pharisees, they all spoke with an Anglican accent. We all know this. That. I mean, it. <laughs> it happens to be. No, well, that's a fact that they all they use the King James Bible in, in, in the days of Herod. That's right. Yeah. they use, the, they so, use so, the. And
0: and this so, is the so, quote from the prophet. So, but you, Bethlehem, <laughs> but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judea. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. And I've got a little asterisk there. If I go down, it tells me that that comes from Micah chapter five, verse two. Now, before we even talk about that, I just have a quick question. I don't want to get I don't want to get uh, carried away uh, on this topic. But where it says, "Tobia." that uh, the, the wise men followed a star. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever thought about this before. Jason, maybe you've thought about it before. If, if you were in the next town, if, there's a town called uh, Conoundra near, near where I am, and it's about a half-hour drive. You're there, and you're approaching my place here in Cowra, and you say, where are you? I'm on my way. I'm driving. And I say to you, well, look up in the sky. Can you see that aeroplane? And you say, oh, yeah, I can see an aeroplane. You know, It's, it's dark, and I can see it blinking in the distance. And I said, okay, it's over my house mm, now. Duh. That's where I am. <laughs> right? no, Would you think, just based on that information, you'd be able to pinpoint... Where it is, and now this is a star we're talking about, Toby. It's a star. I mean, how many billions of kilometers is it? Light years away. How yeah. can people? How can anyone follow a star, let alone an aeroplane, to pinpoint a house on the ground? Is, is there another understanding to this that you're aware of?
1: No, no. But, 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 but let me make a pointer is even more interesting because. They, these people from the east, ostensibly these are some from maybe from Assyria, these are Gentile people who are following a star. So the star is also moving slow enough for them to follow the star. Uh, you know, and the star is guiding them, and it stops over you know Herod's palace in Jerusalem. Uh, yes, this is a it's, low, it, low flying star. This thing is Matthew has this actually. Even though this seems um, funny, I, what I'm, I'm going to do is I'm going to defend the Matthew point here in a strange way. That means Matthew clearly. and You'll see in a moment why this is actually very significant. Matthew clearly has in mind a magical star. A magical star with a, uh, a GPS system that could find, that first of all could be followed by someone, by a group of Goyim from the east who are coming to Jerusalem, and it could stop, in, in oh, eventually over the house of Jesus. So this mm-hmm. is a very special star that can hover, that could move, and move slowly enough so that people could follow it, and then move on, and it knows exactly where it's going. And and of course if you looked and if you were standing I mean imagine I tell students, go out into the into the at night on a starry night and look up at the sky and ask yourself which house is that star over? Of course, it'll, yeah. be, it'll be a little silly. But what, And there's a point here, and you're going to see how all this is going to make a lot of sense, and it's going to in fact, going to be an ominous point, but um, Matthew has in mind what he's the portrait, What he's bringing into view, is that this is not any ordinary star, but this is a magical star that knows exactly what it's doing, and it knows exactly how to find addresses, even if it doesn't know the address as you'll see in a moment and it could be followed it could stop it could start it could continue and it could be followed and it could be uh, identify which house is over this is going to be very important later on in this interview that's going to be unbelievable
2: because you are both (laughs) wrong you're both wrong Jason it was a UFO That's all I was going to say if it resembles anything it has to be a UFO right Beyonce Knowles as a lizard in a UFO I've seen it on the internet <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is in Ireland. This is all the time, by the way. For those of you listening to the show, this is we, we this follow lights
2: ahead. around streets at night time all the time. <laughs> all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So it, okay, so what you're you telling me is you're gonna, we're going to come back to that. Okay, that's because I've always been curious about that. But it does go on to say that uh, in Bethlehem of Judea, for, for it is written by the prophet, uh, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judea are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That apparently is Micah five two. Now, where do we, eventually I want to get to Micah uh, chapter 5, because I'd love love for you to put this this passage in its context and and tell us what exactly is it saying. Before we get there, do you want to just explain a little bit more about the the birth of Jesus, this narrative? I mean, it's here in, in Matthew, it's also found in Luke, right?
1: right, there are 20, for those of you who uh, most of you are Christians who are not familiar with this the the uh, infancy narrative, I'm kidding, is only found in two books of the New Testament it's found only in Matthew and Luke uh, Mark uh, apparently Mark found there was nothing unusual about Jesus' birth, about anything unusual about the city he was born in the, none of that is mentioned in the book of Mark and, and the city of Bethlehem, John never says that Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem, although in John 7 someone asks, is he supposed to be born in Bethlehem? But John does nothing in in to contradict that or to set the record straight at all. So the infancy narrative is only found in two books, in Matthew and in Luke. And as we would expect, we don't know who wrote Matthew. We don't know where he, Math, the book of Matthew was written, but we do know something. And that is that wh- whoever Matthew was, we call Matthew, whoever that was, he was writing for a Jewish audience. He had a Jewish mm-hmm. audience in mind. And therefore, whereas Luke will simply tell the story, let's say, uh, tell the story of of the birth of Jesus, what a virgin, he will not appeal to a verse from the Jewish scriptures to demonstrate, to prove that this is what the Messiah is supposed to do, or anything like that. Matthew is writing with the Jewish audience in mind, and therefore Matthew is going to say, this is not an arbitrary event, but this is a fulfillment of what was prophesied in the Jewish scriptures. Matthew will do this 11 times in his gospel. Mm-hmm. Scholars refer to this as fulfillment citations. This is one of the 11. One of the strange things, uh, not strange, but ironically, although whoever wrote Matthew, we can be sure that his intent was that he wanted the Jews to accept the teachings to embrace Christianity, that Mm -hmm. it could easily be argued that there was no human being in history that was more responsible for the rejection of Christianity than Matthew, than whoever wrote Matthew, because if Matthew had not altered and tampered with the Jewish scriptures, had not changed the text, and we'll see in a moment how Series, he, how what adventure he went on, we'll see exactly what he's done in this text, and many of you know other texts. Many, many Jews, no doubt, would have in fact embraced Christianity. So it's sort of v'nahapachu, it's like the story in the book of Esther, that Haman sought to uh, hang the Jews on the gallows, and ultimately, hang was hanged on it. Although Matthew sought to convert the Jews to Christianity by appealing to these passages, in fact, it would be this kind of slipshot uh, of quoting that would force Jews who might have adi- who might have embraced Christianity, who might have found some of its messages to be emotionally appealing, but this made it impossible because he had misquoted the Jewish scriptures. One of the things I think that uh uh just should be pointed out as you approach this point because uh, it just connects in this is, this is a very there's an ominous point of this story so we're just going to provide a context here if it's okay because just so we don't move around a little bit the, the reason i just want to make sure that the listeners understand the story because you the listener should be asking a question again the story as John just pointed out is people from the east these whatever astronomers from the, whatever from the east the following the star. It's moving slowly enough, it comes to Herod's palace. means it comes to Jerusalem, okay, and it stops. The P- these goyim, these non-Jews, go in and they inquire: Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Herod is an Edomite; he doesn't, she doesn't know. So Ephraim, he's asked. And we all know that Herod spoke fluent Yiddish, so he asked. <laughs> <laughs> he, he asked. You know the rabbis, the priests, the he asked them: Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They say he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem and supposedly, we're told, they quote this verse from Michael, which we're going to look at in a moment. That Mm -hmm. Then the wise men go, essentially, aha, oh, okay, good. And then the star takes off, and now, instead of hovering over Herod's palace, now begins to move again. Now, remember, nowhere do they say on what street. It doesn't say the Messiah is born in Bethlehem on 41st Street, between 5th and 6th Avenue, it doesn't say that. All it says is born in Bethlehem. But this Mm -hmm. star, this is very important, now moves, they follow the star, and it it hovers directly over the house that Jesus was born in. This raises uh, every person listening to the story, this is why this magical star is important. This raises a monumental question. What's the obvious question? The story itself it seems to have a piece that doesn't make sense. What, what is that part? What, what, what's prob- why, what is vestigial, what it was unnecessary, insertion in the story? If the star was smart enough to know how to find the exact address in Bethlehem, where Jesus was born and where Jesus' home was. Because remember, unlike Luke, uh, Jesus' original home was in Bethlehem. There's no no barn, there's no manger, there's no inn in Matthew, because it's very different. We'll get into that perhaps later. So Hmm. the star knows exactly where the Messiah's home is. The question then is, why did Matthew insert the story of the star stopping off in jerusalem to ask this question if the star knew so much if it's such a a smart that's what matthew had in mind as i mentioned earlier that star should have taken these men from the east directly to Jesus' home in Bethlehem, because the star knows the house. Do you understand? why? I have
0: never, I have never ever, con- Jason, I've never considered uh, that before.
2: I know, I just got to the point, I thought, why didn't the star just pop into the sky <laughs> over the house? Why travel right. at all? This, Never,
0: ever have I stopped to think about that, ever.
1: Why did he have to go? Do you understand? There's an imperative, there's a question, there's a, a, a thundering questionnaire. And you have them, this is so critical, it's so important. This is also, my friends, this is a little, this is ominous here. That means I hope every one of you understands this. The start, I wasn't kidding around when I said, Matthew has in mind a magical star. I, I don't want to say, okay, it's funny. How could it be star? That's not really where I wanted to go. Matthew has in mind a star that could stop and go, and stop and go, and move slow enough, and knows exactly where Jesus' home is, which was not information conveyed by the by the by Herod the Great and his scribes and rabbis. So the Matthew could have written the story that the star goes straight to Bethlehem. Why did he have to stop off in Jerusalem? I've got, a, I've got an answer. To Go ahead.
0: I know. I know what the answer is. So the answer is uh, the star has to allow for the uh, for the for the men of the east to tip off Herod so that Herod seeks to uh, to kill the child so that the child and his family has to go to Egypt so that when they come out of Egypt, it is fulfilled by the prophet, yes, it is fulfilled by the prophet, that, uh, that out of Egypt I've called my son. Done. <laughs> magic star, thank you very much. Without that, without magic star, we would so. never have fulfilled that particular prophecy. Tobia.
1: This is so intelligent, I don't even know what the heck you're talking
0: about. <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> Come on! I mean that leads us into an entirely different program, doesn't it? But
1: I want to I want to share this with you, and, and this is very serious and very sad. And this, of course, explains why Europeans who, who were Christian, who are Christians, were influenced by Christian thinking, and so on. This is this kind. This is this story. This is a setup that has unfortunately poisoned and polluted the hearts of Christians for 2,000 years. Luther would have never been an anti-Semite had he not seen stories like this in the Gospels. Here's what's very interesting. Notice that there are two groups of people who discover that the king of the Jews, the Messiah, is to be born in Bethlehem. One is a group of Gentiles, and they are the people from the East. They come to the home of Jesus, where Jesus with Jesus is born, and what do they do? Well, Matthew says that they, they worshiped him. They brought gifts, right? Very simple. <laughs> and then they and, and then they left. What so that's what the Gentiles do when they encounter Jesus. What did the Jews do when they encounter Jesus? Not only one would think, aha, these rabbis, and Herod is the king of the Jews, he's the leader of the Jews, they discovered that the, that the Messiah is born in Bethlehem, and what does Herod seek to do? He seeks to kill the child. This story, this theme that Gentiles are looking to worship Jesus, and the Jews are trying to kill an innocent baby, is a story that will follow throughout the book of Matthew, and we will have a, a very similar a stage later on, where we at the passion narrative instead of the infancy narrative a very a, a star a, a, a story that was told, and the result of this story is the death of untold millions of Jewish people, and that is we have later on a very similar event, a setup where you have Pontius Pilate and in fact, in the book of Matthew the only place where Pontius Pilate's wife is introduced as well, hmm. and Pontius Pilate and his wife for Jesus being is, they're asking who should we let go who should we free and the crowd are screaming you know crucify Jesus and we take it upon ourselves and our children Pontius mm-hmm. Pilate his wife are saying this man is completely innocent and uh, Pontius Pilate wants nothing to do with it his wife is saying this man's She had a terrible dream so what the setup here is very very dark the setup is that when the Messiah comes to be known and where he is the Jews want to kill him and the Gentiles want to worship him and that's what's very dark here that's this is this is not so funny isn't that
0: it you're right that is very very clear and uh, what was what did become apparent to me only now when i was reading it in uh, verse three of uh, chapter two in matthew it says when herod the king heard this he was troubled and all jerusalem with him all jerusalem was troubled
1: yes, that's right Means why that's what's what, Mashiach, Mashiach is born, go think. These rabbis, all of them know, they're troubled. But look at the wise men. The wise men are, are going there and they're, oh, they're, there's nothing that said bad about them, but they're goyim, They're non-Jews. And therefore they're going there to venerate him, to worship him, and the Jews are troubled, and ultimately the leader of the Jews will go to kill Jesus and, of course, Joseph is going to have to flee to Egypt in order to escape the wrath of Herod and remain there and of course you have another one of these eleven fulfillment citations, which is outrageous. Where he quotes uh, Hosea 11, 1 that the reason either mm-hmm. Jesus had to go down to Egypt because out of Egypt have I called my son, quoting misquoting eleven I, Hosea um, chapter 1.1. 11, 11 1. And you'll see that Matthew does something very similar in Hosea two Hosea eleven one. As he's going to do here in Micah five, this is very important. So there is, I mean, it, it's comical, but it's really it's uh, very dark, and 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 unf- unfortunately, the effect which is understandable that this would have on europeans on christians would be catastrophic for the jewish people it would po- portray the jews as as people of the devil as subhuman as undermention of people who are capable of ultimately wanting to kill christ they would fail here in in the early parts of Matthew, in the infancy narrative, but they would ultimately succeed in this endeavor to kill the Messiah in the passion narrative later on in the book of Matthew in chapter 27 and mm. so on. So this is Very, very dark, my friends, and that's why you have a completely vestigial element to the story. Why did the star have to go to Jerusalem to ask Herod and the Jews where was the Messiah born? What do you mean for the star could find Jesus' house? Doesn't need, didn't need them. How do I know that? Because they don't tell him what street he's on. They only said he's born in Bethlehem. If that means a star is a magical star, the star really knows exactly the place where, where the Messiah is born. If that's the case, they never had to stop in Jerusalem. A star could have mm. taken them. Matthew inserts this 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 very disturbing story in order to in order to highlight to contrast the sharp contrast between how the Jews treat the Messiah, they want to kill him and how, the, and how the Gentiles treat the Messiah, they may be ignorant, that's a thing we'll find over and over again throughout the Gospels they're not so smart, they don't know, they got to ask, but when they find out the truth they want to embrace Jesus like, I imagine Pontius Pilate was a man who wasn't very well versed in the Bible, his wife certainly would not have been, she may not have been literate but no, they knew enough to defend Jesus, and the crowds the hordes uh, of Jews were saying, uh, crucify Jesus, we take his blood upon us and upon our children mm-hmm. if we by the way, as we go later and later in the Gospels, meaning chronologically we'll find more and more jew hatred, the responsibility for Jesus' crucifixion falls squarely on the head of the Jew, and the resp- and the the responsibility for the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, And will recede when the the Roman responsibility will recede to the point of John will literally Pontius Pilate. We are told in John alone that Pontius Pilate literally will give Jesus over to the Jews to be crucified. That's only found in the Book of John. If we go further to apocryphal texts, which were not accepted into the New Testament canon, and thank Mm -hmm. God they were not. If we go to the Gospel of Peter, we go to the Epistle of Barnabas, and these are second second century they actually are even more anti Jewish, more anti Semitic, and I I I would say that of course if though if these books nearly made it in and had the gospel of Peter made it into the into the canon which it might have or the or the um, epistle of Barnabas made it in um, uh, Christian Jewish relations would have been worse if that was all possible now you have a better understanding holy children of God of what has happened here and the the, the the poison that is falling through and that now we understand why we have why the star needs to stop off in Jerusalem there is no reason if the star was in fact a magical star that knew exactly where Jesus's home was. This magical, is important.
0: Yeah. That's important. So, so it's Matthew that has uh, this uh, this part of the narrative. It's it's Matthew that has the misrepresented texts. Eleven such uh, examples, you say, which Luke is not so guilty of. I'll just remind the listeners that the uh, the key verse in Luke is Luke chapter two verses uh, four and five, and it says Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth. Into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife. Uh, who was with child, and so it was while they were there uh, that the, the days were completed for her to uh, be delivered, and she she brought forth um, her firstborn son, so on and so forth. So there's mm. there's the connection to Bethlehem. Now, I'm a little bit confused. What what are the similarities between uh, Luke and Matthew? Because here in Matthew, they're, do they live in Bethlehem? And here in, in Luke, they travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem.
1: I, I have no doubt in my mind that... Uh, Christians are are more familiar with the infancy narratives, there are only two as mentioned earlier, than they are with probably any other uh, narrative in the gospel. It's probably case because Christmas is a very popular very popular holiday where these stories are told over. And I think that many Christians are aware that there are differences between them, but Christians perceive that the Matthew and Luke just simply are, are two stories of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, and they each complement the other, and essentially it's one big... Uh, they fuse the stories together, and that's how it's in the fact conveyed in church. And it's one big happy story where Jesus does everything. That's
0: that's exactly how it's presented. That is a good right. word to use. Fuse, Jason, uh, in in the tradition you were brought up in, and your experience of um, the birth of Jesus and and the narrative. I mean. Did it ever occur to you to isolate each story and look at it and compare, to them, compare them? Or was it just one, just one story that sort of melded together from all four gospels? And uh, you know, every year that's the that's the uh, the birth narrative that we have. I mean, what what was it for you?
2: Yeah, you weren't encouraged to you weren't encouraged to look. Uh, you were you were given this kind of um, slideshow. You know, was, um, first slide star, second slide wise man, third slide um, Herod or uh, angry. Uh, Fourth (laughs) slide: Jesus born next to a donkey. You never really um, the the journey of how Jesus got to that stable or that barn was was never mentioned, and nor was where he went afterwards. Then you get um, you know screenshot Jesus Galilee screenshot, uh, Nazareth, Mm -hmm. but. So it's
0: the abridged, the abridged hmm. uh, or the paraphrased uh, fused together, if you like, yeah. and that's, that's generally what we, what we uh, were fed, and it's, it's not something that we ever felt that we should question, uh, but what I would say to listeners is if you have not done the exercise, first of all, uh, it would be a great help for you to get uh, Let's Get Biblical, Why Doesn't Judaism Accept the Christian Messiah, Volume 1 and 2, an excellent resource. And, and just isolate each of these Gospels and compare back and forth. Tobia, so many Christian scholars have attempted to bring out a complete story that includes all the, the details of every Gospel to make them, the, the the harmony of the Gospels, how many times have we heard that? The harmony mm. of the Gospels. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, um, it's a very, very difficult thing to do and in this case, between Luke and Matthew, there's some incredible
1: differences. In fact, uh, and this is not hyperbole, we know that there are uh, in virtually every story in the Gospels, no two gospels agree on exactly what happened. You have to line them up side by side. Many people are very aware of the differences in the passion narratives between the, between the four gospels, which are which are are stark some of them the problems are much more serious than the other. Some of the problems are completely convoluted. Yet there are no two stories in the entire Christian canon that are more convoluted and are more contradictory than this particular infancy narrative. And maybe what I do, just for a moment, briefly, is help the listener understand how to to understand why these two stories are not only they're not. Uh, harmony, but they, what they are is a cacophony of noise. There are only three things that Matthew and, Mar- and Matthew and Luke agree upon, and that is that Jesus was born to a virgin, and her name was Mary, and he was born in the city of Bethlehem. As we'll see in a moment, it's going to be really important to both of them to create a plot device um, to get Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. But these two stories are very different. You'll ask yourself a how come Matthew didn't just look up the New Testament and look up what it says there and go and not contradict? The answer, obviously, is there was no New Testament to look at. Mm-hmm. To look at. Matthew couldn't get on the phone and, and make the stories work together. Let me just sh- explain to the listeners why, to those listening to this broadcast, uh, why the problem. If I ask you, the listener... Matthew, uh, um, Joseph and Mary, they were a couple. Yeah? What was the, their original hometown according to the New Testament? Where did they start off? What was their starting point? Here we have a couple, they came together, they were betrothed. Where, where was their hometown? When I ask an audience this question, what answer do I usually get? I get Nazareth. That's what I usually get. People will say Nazareth. But in fact, this is where the departures begin. They're very different. According to Luke, the couple originally started off in Nazareth. Luke's instance narrative is much more extensive than Matthew. But it's very clear that the family starts off in Nazareth. What happens is, under Caesar Augustus, uh, under Caesar what happens is, there's a worldwide census and everybody has to return. Everybody in their own Empire, has to go to the city from where the ancestors came from a thousand years ago. And given that Joseph was, his great-great-grandfather was King David, and King David was was born in the city of Bethlehem the family then is compelled to travel whoa, let me see, from the Galilee all the way down to Bethlehem, we're talking about maybe 80, 90 miles, long distance so they had to travel for a few days at least four days in order to get there now, mm-hmm. when they come to when they come to Bethlehem they don't have a house, They don't because the house is up in Nazareth so they hmm. try to find a hotel to stay in, a holiday, or la quinta, something but there's no room at the inn that's very important, so what are they forced to do? They're forced to stay in a barn, and therefore hmm. Jesus is actually born in a manger, which is like a trough where a horse eats from, so this hmm. is the story Look, Luke, what happens then in the book of Luke is that uh, finally, you know, Jesus is born, and there are shepherds who come to worship him and so on and so forth and then uh, jo- the family then goes to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem Mary brings the appropriate sacrifices of the woman who's mm-hmm. just given birth and then 32 days later, 33 days later, they return to Nazareth and that's where Jesus is raised in Nazareth and in fact, later on, Jesus as a child, it's the only, in the-, the only place in the New Testament we're told anything about what Jesus was like when he was a kid, but we have the story of him, uh, the family going to Jerusalem, visit Jerusalem again they happen to forget their kid behind come back and Jesus is there in the temple having conversations with bright people who are impressed with Jesus' intelligence that is the story in the book so Luke starts off in Nazareth they go come down to Bethlehem they both want this is the overarching point Matthew and Luke need to have Jesus born in Bethlehem. So Luke has them start off in of Nazareth, go down to Bethlehem, and then basically a month later they go back to Jerusalem where at the temple sacrifices are offered, mm-hmm. and then they go to Nazareth, and that's what Jesus spends his life. And there's, his
0: and life. there's no... There's no trip to, uh, oh, there's no, no uh, there's no you slaughtering of don't. the innocents. There's no going to, nothing, no works. going to Egypt. E- go to even Egypt. though an angel told them to go right. to Egypt and right. then out of Egypt, you got to fulfill that prophecy out of Egypt to call my son. And, and, uh, and yet we don't have that because what we have in Luke okay. chapter two, verse 39. So they, uh, when they had pre- performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth, and the child grew up and became Matthew, strong, and so on and so forth.
1: Matthew, it's not just this is an important point here. It's not just that Luke doesn't have that part in it. So people say it's just not there, but it happened. It just Luke doesn't mention. It, it just doesn't work. He either they either went down to Egypt, or they and they were down there for a long time until Herod the Great was dead, and we'll get to that in a moment. Or they went up to Nazareth. Ma- so it's not that. That each this is how Christians perceive that each are just supplying information that's not in the other this is a complete cacophony this is a, these two stories are completely uh dissident they're trying to accomplish the same thing and and uh, Matthew of course has this completely different Matthew has the family the couple Joseph and Mary are from Bethlehem that's their home there is therefore no barn no hotel no inn in Matthew's uh, nativity story in chapter two. Why? Because if you came from Bethlehem, if your home was in Bethlehem, would you stay at a at a, at a hol- holiday inn down the street? Of course not. Would you sleep in a barn if you can sleep you can give birth would you give birth in a barn where you can give birth in your own house? There's, there is there is no barn and there is no manger and none of these things in the book of, in in the book of in the book of Matthew. Instead what happens is that Jesus is born, the the um, the men come down. They then, then Joseph is informed. Joseph is informed that, in fact, Herod is seeking to kill the child this to the very end of Matthew chapter 2 they do not go to Nazareth as we mentioned earlier on the contrary they have to get out to escape the wrath of Herod mm-hmm. and therefore they will go down to Egypt and remain there until the death of Herod and then of course Matthew 2.23 will say you know you know, tells whatever reason but they'll go down there and, and the key point is this that an angel then comes to Joseph because Joseph naturally wants to go back to Bethlehem the coast mm-hmm. is closed now there's no reason for them to remain in Egypt, in some place that's outside of the jurisdiction of Herod the Great who was trying to kill him by the way, there's no, hist- it, no there was no what's called the slaying of the innocents I mean, no historian if Herod went and killed out every child in Bethlehem someone would have mentioned it, it's not mentioned it never happened, this of course is, is fiction, but, but setting that aside for a moment, what happens then is uh, the angel informs Joseph that Herod is dead, but there's a new problem, and that is Herod has a son, and his son, in this this particular son, his name is Herod Archelaus, who was, if you think Herod the Great was nuts, Herod Archelaus, his son, was a psych- complete psycho. And therefore, mm. the, the angel forms Joseph... Pfft, you can't go back to your home in Bethlehem. Instead, you can't you can't go back to Judea because that's where Herod Archelaus ruled. That's where he. That's the area that was given to him after the death of Herod. Instead, you have to go up to the Galilee. That would have been outside the jurisdiction of Herod Archelaus, and therefore the family now has to go to a new place to Nazareth. And in Nazareth, they are uh, they're safe from this despot, who incidentally. Herod Archelaus is such a psycho that the Romans removed him in 6 CE uh, because he was even too crazy too anti-Semitic too anti-Jewish for the for the Romans so he's taken away and Curanus the governor of Syria takes over one other point should be made here and this I think is very people are, are waking up to this wait according to Matthew uh, Jesus was alive when Herod the Great was alive they were contemporaries Mm-hmm. They were contemporaries. And it's not that Jesus was born a day before Herod the Great died, and we know that's 4 BCE. The reason we know that is because the way Matthew presents this is that the soldiers are told to kill any child who's two years old and younger. The question is, why such a variance? Everyone can tell the difference between a two-year-old and a newborn. So the answer is that Matthew's story entails Jesus being a, a little toddler when this is occurring and therefore they have to kill all the children including toddlers in the book of Matthew so mm. now Herod the great just so you understand this is part of the herodian dynasty so Herod the great dies in 4 BCE his his We'll call it kingdom. He was he was a he was a proxy of the Romans. But basically, there was a division of power after his death. Herod Archelaus is given the is given control over Judea. He his reign begins in four BCE when Herod the Great dies, and in six CE, as I mentioned a moment ago, he is removed because of a, a whole series of events, but culminates in a massacre on Passover. I'm not going to go into it now. But mm-hmm. the key is, what happens then is, is Judea is then taken away from the Herodian dynasty, and instead the governor of Syria, his name is Curanus, he then, who now, he's controlling Syria, he's given the Romans and say, hey, I need you to take care of Judea as well. So Judea now falls under the jurisdiction of the governor of Syria. So the governor of Syria, his his rule, his rule now expands vastly. Now this is very critical because we're told in the book of Luke that when Curanus, who a, a census for the purpose of taxation, we know when that took place. This takes place in the year 6 CE. There's no one moving all over the Roman Empire and was very isolated, but the key point is this. You, Jesus could not either. Matthew is correct that Jesus was born before the death of Herod. Let's say four six B.C.E. Okay, I always found it funny because according this would mean um, basically that according to Matthew, Jesus was born six years before Christ. But that's a different. <laughs> yes. Point. But but the, the key <laughs> the key is Matthew has Jesus born and let's say about the year six B.C.E. And according to Luke, and these two cannot be the same because you understand that one follows. The other. Jesus was born during the time when Tyranes, the governor of Syria, governed this period, governed the area of Judea, and then had a census. Well, yet for the purpose of taxation. Well, those two could not be the same. Luke and Matthew could both. They couldn't possibly have happened. So all they have in common is Jesus was born to a virgin named Mary in the city of Bethlehem. Their stories, of course, are there's no harmony here. There's cacophony. There's no music over here. There's just a lot of noise. Two different plot devices, and the aim of both of them, the overarching aim, is to get someone who was born in Nazareth, who I believe Jesus would have been born in Bethlehem. And this, incidentally, people, one other point a footnote here, if I may. People ask me, do you think Jesus really existed? Was he a real person? That's it's a question I get, probably uh, quite one of the most popular questions I'm asked. Maybe you're asked this as well. This is one of the things that I, we can't say for sure because there was no contemporaneous historian who mentions it. But this, and along with a few other stories, is what convinces me that there probably was a, an itinerant preacher uh mm-hmm. Who from Nazareth? Because why would Nazareth be mentioned? That means no one ever heard of Nazareth. It was a one horse town in the middle in the northern Galilee, mentioned by no one. Now Josephus, Talmud, Tanakh—it's mentioned nowhere. That means, like this: if Jesus literally never existed, and there are some people in scholars who say he never existed, none of this, these somersaults, this contrive, these contrivances, would be necessary. Because, obviously, Matthew and Luke knew that Jesus was really born in Nazareth. They wanted to change that datum and have him born in Bethlehem, the city of David. They each can cr- create these extremely elaborate stories to make that happen. There happened to be opposite stories. But the point is this, and this is, again, my opinion, is if Jesus, if there was no such person ever in history... And never existed none of this would have been necessary they could have they would have just both said that he was born in bethlehem I and no why mention nazareth why have the stories so interestingly it is the fiction in the christian bible it is the lies in the gospels that tell me that there was probably a a real person from nazareth who everyone is trying to get to be born in bethlehem I mean, that's just a side point there
0: no, that's that's fascinating jason what's going through your mind
2: uh, just a couple of things. I actually spent some time on this a while ago, looking at uh, historical evidence for this census, um, and it's kind of interesting. Because Herod the Great dies in B um, four BCE, and because the census came up between 6 and 7 CE, that means that Herod the Great, if he gave that command, did it from beyond the grave, which is kind of interesting. Also, no Roman census uh, is on record at that time, outside of the Gospel tradition, um, that included everybody, yeah.
1: Jason, you're from Ireland, you're, you're, you're in Australia let's say there was a census, I mean governments do have to tax their people and therefore have no. to know who lives where, so there were there was a census and in fact it was the, interestingly it was this limited census that people speculate that began the zealot movement, we're not going to go there but this is going to create a problem because censuses and taxation often get people in trouble, but let's say you were told, that. let's say Australia was said that every person in Australia had to return back to where the ancestors lived 1000 years ago John, where would you go? Jason, where would you go? The answer is it's ridiculous. What would be the purpose of people having to travel back? Where would they? How would they know where their ancestors lived one thousand years ago? What would be the purpose in collecting taxes? The only people who moved around during any census for taxation were the tax collectors and the census takers, not the people who were going to who were who were being counted and who would have to pay the census. This is very who would have to pay the taxes. That's,
0: that's such a good. Point. Point that he made because I suppose uh, if that was the case, that you had to go back to your, to your town of origin for the point of taxation, and all of a sudden you've got people moving all over the place. That, what a logistical nightmare! And I've never really given that consideration either. Yeah,
2: so, uh, Josephus records that between six and seven yes. yeah. CE after um, Herod Archelaus, I think he pronounced it, um, there was a there was a census that went out, but that's only Josephus. And within a Roman census, only Roman people were recorded. They wouldn't have recorded every itinerant that was walking around, or or Jews certainly wouldn't have been included. And there's no Roman census that included, and they ever asked um, Jews to return to their ancestral homes, or even the Jewish people, um, or even Roma people. So um, that that bit there is is really kind of, and because it's only Josephus, and because we kind of know where Josephus was getting his money, it's a bit. I don't know. I it's, I, I can't yeah. put my faith in it.
0: Okay, yeah. no, fair enough. I was just going to say the other key verse here, uh, as you mentioned, Toby, is uh, John chapter 7, verse uh, 41. And Well, I'll start from verse 40. It says, therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture uh, said that the Christ will come from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? And so there was a division among the people uh, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, the questions. <laughs> It doesn't, it, And it doesn't uh, make it's any un, reference to
1: the author. Unresolved. John, it's unresolved. The author of John is not. This is very important. This is a slap in the face to what was going around. Because obviously, John, whoever wrote the book of John, we don't know, but whoever wrote the book of John, this is very late, is aware of this, and John doesn't like it at all. That's why John is not. We, we just, I think I've said this in a show before. John, of course, mentions nothing about the birth of Jesus because mm. the birth of Jesus in the city is born as important, to, it's not, wait, I'm going to change I retract that, it's not an important it's antithetical to what John is trying to convey, John begins with a prologue, it's, it's called higher Christology, it's the first 18 mm-hmm. verses of John, John 1-18, through 18. in verse 17 we find out that the word that became flesh is Jesus, it's very obvious what's happening there so what John is trying to do is get the reader away from the birth and stop focusing on Jesus' mother and it's not important he was born of a virgin because his birth is not where he becomes Son, he was son in the distance past in some early past, and th- this incidentally becomes a big argument on Christians exactly what the prologue means. But the p- one thing no one disagrees with one point that no one disagrees with is that John does not want to deal with this, so this is a slap in the face, and that is, this is not important, When he was, where he was born Jesus was God's son before creation, he was he, mm. God's son in the eternal past this is why there's no mention whatsoever of a baptism, doesn't want a baptism in John, there's no mention of Mary, of, of Jesus' mother Mary, meaning her name is not mentioned, and when she mm. is introduced at the miracle in Cana um, um, at the marriage where Jesus, uh, uh, we are told, is, turns water into wine, Jesus speaks to his mother derisively. So that's what's happening in John seven. John leaves it open. He could have said, or the author could have then straightened the record up. He was born in Bethlehem. No, John leaves this out because of what is it? Why doesn't what is that put in there with no answer, with no response? The reason no mm. response is you idiot, stop talking about Bethlehem. Jesus is from the eternal past. The prologue. Therefore his birth is unimportant. Mother, what do I have to woman, what do I he Jesus doesn't even call his mother mother is very interesting. In the miracle in Cana at the wedding a woman. He says woman. He doesn't say mother. What kind what, of way What, what do I have to What, what do, I have do I have to do with the, you woman? Exactly. Yeah. You've seen how the theology dictates the story rather than the other the way story. around. Exactly. And
0: so that's that's the only thing that we have in John. So we've done Matthew, Luke, John and Mark. There's there's nothing right. There's none. This is that Mark is the first gospel that was penned, but we we really don't have any sort of detail, do we?
1: We have zero for Mar- Mark. Mark has the no, Mark is early. So Mark is Mark's Mark been the least embellished the em- of all the, the gospels. Come later.
0: Yeah, now of the uh, now the verse in question, as I mentioned earlier on, is Micah chapter five, and it's uh, it's the first couple of verses. Can you, my friend? Would you? Put this into its context and tell us what's going on here. What is it? What is it actually saying? What is the significance of these verses?
1: Well, it depends where you read the verse. And this is Nebuch. I say this with a heavy heart and with deep love in my in my soul for for people who I didn't used to care about as a child. That's non Jews and Christians who Nebuchadnezzar tragically, when they their knowledge of Micah five and just so there isn't confusion in a jewish bible this passage appears as micah 5 1. In a Christian Bible, this same passage appears in Micah five two. Just so there isn't that confusion. But what's happening in Matthew chapter two verse six is there's a quote, and the quote is: so we are told the rabbis, the priests, are informing these wise men that in fact, in Herod, that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem, because again, that's the city of David, that's the place where David comes from. Now, if we read the passage. In Matthew, there are problems with Matthew's translation of the passage, but I don't want to overload the listeners to get into other problems there because they're relatively uh, unimportant compared to the massive one. If you read the passage as it appears... In the book of Matthew, meaning go looking at Matthew two six, which most Christians do rather than going back to the original, it really does look like there's a prophecy in Micah. And to give you some time frame, Micah lived roughly seven hundred years before the Christian era. He was a contemporary of Isaiah, for example. So if we look at if we look at uh, Matthew, we would see there. But you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are in no wise least. You're not least among the princes of. Judea. It's a reverse. It really does say you should have been least. But again, let's ignore that because that's not the big deal. If you ask me why later, I'll tell you why he changed that. Because out of you will come a governor or will come a ruler. Now, that's very clear. And then it says, who shall shepherd my people Israel? This, my friends, if you read this in matthew two six it very clearly looks like that Micah is telling us something very important about the messiah 's birth, and that is because there is no other way reasonably to read this passage as it appears in Matthew, Mm -hmm. and that is that the verse is saying, giving us something a little bit more about the Messiah, which Micah is referring to the Messiah in chapter Mm -hmm. 5, just so you know, that it does very clearly look like the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. So, it's very simple. Now... If, however, my friends, you go back to the Sefer Micha, the Book of Micah, you'll notice something very interesting. If you read almost all the verse in Micah five one, whether you read it in Hebrew or you read it in any translation, it too looks like the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, except for section B, the modifier. Watch the carefully. modifier. So, would
0: you like me to read it?
1: Yeah, that means read Micah 5, 1, and we're going to compare this to Matthew 2, 6, and you need to see what, is hap- what was done mm. to our Bible. Go ahead.
0: And this is and this is Micah 5, 2 in a Christian translation reading yeah. from, the, from the New King James, and it yeah. says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one, capital O, to be ruler, capital R, in Israel, the one to be ruler in Israel, who's going forth are from, of old, from everlasting.
1: Right. Now, it, it happens to be that the text there is, uh, which means from ancient time, from... Antiquity from ancient times, origins from all from ancient times. Me may olam means from ancient times. Now mm-hmm. I, I will say to you this: that although that sound I think that's the King, the New King James that you're reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't want to disparage every Christian Bible. Uh, many, like the Revised Standard Version, even the NIV, which usually is the villain in translations, correctly translates the passage of Micah five in you know, and Of course, it'll appear as five. Too, it, it will save me. May Olam, of course, is from ancient times. And that's how the NIV read the New English Bible. Most of them do. The King James is going to go from antiquity. We know from, from everlasting because they want to make it look like it comes from ancient. But what it, the text says is whose origins are from old, from from ancient times. So now mm-hmm. let's very let's now separate this passage into two segments, and you'll see what and you'll see what's happened here. This is going to be rather startling, I think, to many people. Let's sec, separate this passage in Micah into two parts. Part A says, "And you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you should have been the least of the clans of Judah. However, from you will emerge me a ruler over?" Israel, stop. Mm-hmm. That's section one. Does that sound like the Messiah, because that's what it's speaking about, is supposed to be born in Bethlehem? And the answer is, you bet it does.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: However, there's the modifier. And the modifier are the last four words. Um, might say and... It's like Hamotzi lechem mina aretz, who brings forth his source, his the antithesis. Where does this? Con, what is the connection between the Messiah and Bethlehem? Where is the connection? So the this last, this last part, the ending of Micah five one or five two, is critical. It says Umitzaisav so, and. Where is the connection? Where does it go forth that the Messiah comes from Bethlehem? It's not from when he's born. No, it's Mekedem from. His origins from old, Mimeolam, from ancient days. That's what's critical. So the end of the passage tells us this is the connection between the Mashiach and Bethlehem. What does it mean? It's obvious what it means, and that is, it's not that the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, but rather it is from the ancient the connection that the Messiah will have with Bethlehem is not him in the present, but it's from ancient times, of course, and that's King David. King David was, in fact, born in Bethlehem, as we see in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 58. As you can well imagine, this, this, this modifier at the end of the passage of Micah is a major problem. This cannot be left intact. It can't. As far as Matthew is concerned, this has to be stripped. It has to be surgically eliminated. Now, I I, I I say to the listeners, take a deep breath, because if you go to Math to people read this their whole life and never notice this, you'll notice that What does Matthew do? He's not an idiot. So if we go back to Matthew chapter two verse six. You'll see there that what he did. At the end of Matthew 2 6, we had rulers, Judah for Adam, you will come a ruler. And how does Matthew 2 6 end? Does it say there that his origin is from old, from ancient days, which would tell us it's oh. not the result? No, he has to surgically remove it, it has to be stripped. What does he do? He interpolates, he inserts and said, Who will be a shepherd over my people? It doesn't say that in Micah 5. How do you change my Bible? Who stuck these words in there? The other, you think this is an accident? Incidentally, you'd be ah oh, Matthew's quoting Septuagint. Inspector. No, this was very carefully done. This was very well thought out. And Matthew... Me, Matthew realized Matthew realized that he had to that he had to remove that modifier at the end of the passage of Micah, insert another very nebulous little bit, shepherd over my people, Israel, and suddenly you have a brand new verse, and this brand new verse oh, elegy,'s supposed to be born in Bethlehem, and bingo, you've now stripped the Bible, you've altered the Jewish scriptures in order to make it appear. Christological.
0: Isn't, isn't that... And as you say, this is characteristic of, of uh, Matthew. But, but but just to reiterate, it says, yet in, in Micah it says, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. In Matthew it says, out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people in Israel. And it stops there, but in Micah it continues, who's going forth are from ancient days. Jason, what's going through your mind?
2: Well, I'm looking at this and I'm kind of, you know... F- the tradition I was brought up in, um instantly my brain would click in when I looked at Micah uh, at the um from ancient times thing and we'd start equating that to Jesus and I was born before this. So does does um whose origins from of old from ancient times does that mean before creation or can we assert ancient times as um just a previous history of the people?
0: Well, I'm glad, no. Before you before you say anything, uh, um, Tovia, it's just that uh, you pointed out, uh, and as I've said often on the program before, the New King James is highly Christological in the way that it translates, and the way that it uh, plays with the text, with the use of capitals and uh, uh, the choice of uh, cherry picking of words, and in the. Uh, the study notes of this particular verse, it's, uh, it highlights, you know, going forth, this particular moderator, as you say, the birth of this savior king would be unlike the birth of any other because he was pre-existent. He is from everlasting. They have in bold there from everlasting. But as you say, it's not exactly what it says. What it says is of ancient days. Yeah, this
1: is the language of the prophets. In fact, we we don't have to even leave the book of Micah. We can remain there and go to Micah chapter seven verse fourteen. Well, Micah is again recalling the ancient days. And if you look at Micah chapter seven verse fourteen in the King James Bible, we have the same words "kime olam," which means. Like in ancient days. And if you look it up in Micah 7.14. This is what I've got.
0: Yes. I'll, let me read it. It says, "It says, uh, shepherd your flock with your staff, uh, the flock of your heritage who dwell solitarily in in a, in a woodland in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilad as in days of old.
1: Exactly. Now look at the Hebrew. The Hebrew is the same. Olam like days of old, I mean they can go to the book of Malachi we, we we talked about Malachi chapter 3 you know, it's, it's very important we're, we're talking about Malachi in chapter 3 is saying that how things will be restored and the wrong the, the crooked places will be made straight and so on and so forth, an idea we see uh, in, in the book of Isaiah, and what does it say there in Malachi chapter 3 verse 4, then the offerings of Hashem, I mean, then the very famous in our prayers. then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant unto the Lord as kime olam, as in days of old, which always means as in the former times, as things were. So the word kime olam is always, not just talking about a a, a time period in the past, it's recalling the old times, the the good old times, I'm using that refrain. Meaning, that's, kime olam means Things are going to come back just like the good old days. We mm-hmm. find it in Isaiah sixty-three, and I, you know, and we find it in Amos chapter nine, eleven, uh, that the tabernacle will be raised up, and it'll be what mm-hmm. it'll be, like in the days of old, kimey yeah. And in fact, yeah. there's not a single place in the entire Jewish scriptures where the word kimey or kimey is ever translated as everlasting, except here in Micah chapter 5-2. The reason why? Why does it mean one thing in every other place it appears, but only here in this one place it means everlasting? The answer is it's theological. This is not a translation. What the King James is doing is participating our full cohorts in this crime that whoever wrote the book of Matthew committed, and therefore, shines out. "Aha! this must be referring to Jesus not just born in Bethlehem, and that's where his sonship begins. No, it's in fact goes back to the everlasting time, and that's what Jesus is. Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. This is a course, terrible crime um, that's happened here.
0: If if Matthew had <laughs> collaborated with John somehow and they worked together, Matthew might have quoted to the end of the verse and, uh, and, and uh, used that. But, of course, that's not what it said to him, so he cut it short.
1: Right, exactly. Now, uh, one of the interesting things is in some cases we have when the Christian translates the Jewish Bible— Actually, take the bleach. You know how you remove fingerprints is you use bleach, mm-hmm. right? And you wash down the fingerprints. People who commit crimes wash the fingerprints off before they leave, so the police won't be able to identify who they. Are. So that's done often. We're meaning the. The, the Christian Bible will, for instance, the King James will translate, "Behold, a virgin shall conceive." In Isaiah seven fourteen, so it conforms to Matthew chapter one verse twenty three. In this case, the Christian Bibles do not put in the the words, "And he will be a shepherd over Israel." They leave that in, but in so therefore, you could see that even in your own Christian Bible, and if. But they will change the word me'olam because me'olam has the word olam in there. Olam means eternity, but if it has days, and it's not eternity. So me'olam ki means from ancient times. So we have the fingerprints intact. We don't have the bleaching down that we will find in let's say Isaiah chapter seven verse fourteen. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Fascinating stuff! Oh my goodness! I, you know, we're going to have to wrap this up because we're running out of time. Is there any uh, other detail that we that we need to put into this discussion, or, or shall we wrap it up?
1: Well, I, I think what's important is, is, is this. Hopefully, can help the listener. People say, oh my, I'm just imagining that people are wondering, well, I, I, I can't, how will I ever figure this out? My Hebrew's not so good. I I, I, I wouldn't, I, I all my life I was a Christian. I never even saw this in my life. What I recommend you do is just not use that kind of vertical reading, and which people typically do. They read Matthew and then they read Luke, or they read Lahabdul, they read Isaiah, and then they don't do that. What you do is, don't be afraid. If truth is on your side, when God is by your side no one can make you afraid just look it up for yourself and read the context and in fact later on in micah chapter 5 it tells us that this ruler is going to be the one who's going to destroy the enemies of god which jesus failed to do so in fact if micah 5 2 is talking about the messiah it can't be jesus because as it turns out the end of the text says he's going to do things which jesus did not do he didn't crush the enemies of the jewish people so look Mm. it up for yourself don't be afraid it's
2: all there jason any final thoughts my friend just for the readers to remember that if they're relying on their Bible and they haven't had a look at the, the, the text may maybe a different translation or they've had a pump at the Hebrew, they don't have a clue what they're reading. They're reading a translation from a different language and unless they've checked that translation, they're taking it completely <laughs> um, on faith that it means what it means. So I'd really encourage people. There's a whole load of good stuff online, Bible CC, Bible Hub, Um, That will show you the Hebrew words that are underneath the English text and you know it's daunting but you can do it. So go and check it it out. And
0: let me add to that as well that uh, I know I know we've had a lot of detail in this discussion. there's a lot of things for people to take in. Uh, it is in so much more detail in the book. Oh my goodness, it really really is Toby. you've really gone into uh, significant detail on this particular topic and people can find that in the uh, volume one of let's get biblical. Why doesn't Judaism accept the Christian Messiah? Uh, it's a two uh, volume series. you can, you can uh, get it at Judaism uh, sorry outreachjudaism.org that's outreachjudaism.org. I highly highly recommend that you do that and make a good Christmas gift wouldn't it? I think that a pe idea <laughs> yeah. So now that' we've, now that we' we've, we've, we've burst some bubbles but I tell you what you know you've got some months to get over it okay so don't, don't be angry at us. It's, you've got some months to do the homework.
1: And uh, it's all going to be okay, right, Tovia? Yeah, that's good. So, yeah, it is in volume one. Enjoy it. Look it up. And one thing for sure, when you have the truth, when you have the MS, you don't have to be afraid. Just look it up for yourself. That's all. So true. It's enough following men. Don't follow me either. That's why I always say, let's look it up together. It's in your Bible. I don't say follow Tovia. Don't follow me Maybe Jason a little bit, but don't follow. Follow, <laughs> just look it up for yourself. There was nothing I quoted that you can't look up for yourself. It's all there. All I've done is it's I just shine lights. say, give a look. It's over there. Do it for yourself. You have the Amazon on your side. You have nothing to fear.
0: Thank you, Jason of SpiritualBabies.net for coming back on. Thank you so much, Rabbi Tovia Singer of OutreachJudaism.org. Get the books, people. And in the meantime, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom.